Welcome to a new edition of Heartland History, the podcast of the Midwestern History Association. I'm your host, John Lauk. Our show is produced by Aaron Babcock. Today we are joined by Melissa Fraterigo. She is a writer based in Indiana and is the author of a new book entitled Glory Days, published by the University of Nebraska Press. Melissa is also the director of the Lafayette Writers Studio in Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, welcome to the show, Melissa. Thanks so much for having me on, John. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Melissa. I, uh, I'm immediately struck by the title of your book, which is Glory Days, which when I hear that phrase, I automatically think of Bruce Springsteen. Can you tell me if there's any connection there? Well, there isn't so much a direct connection to Springsteen's work as there is kind of that notion of small town disillusionment and kind of the blue collar message, I think, that a lot of of Springsteen's songs um, allude to. But in the in the small plains town of Ingleside, Nebraska, there's a lot of change that's taking place, similar to, um, I think, the message that that um, that Bruce Springsteen brings to a lot of his songs. But in this um, in this small plains town of Ingleside, we've got um, down on their luck ranchers and new money, ghosts and seers, drugs and greed. Um, the haves and the have-nots. And um, if, if, uh, if I can tell you a little bit about the book, um, the novel centers around a character by the name of Teensy and his adopted daughter, Luann, who at the book's opening faced the loss of their land while also mourning the death of Luann's mother. And as he grieves for his wife and his land, Teensy struggles to raise his daughter. Um, Luann and Teensy have seldom seen eye to eye. As an adoptee, Luann never feels at home in this small plains town of Ingleside. Um, she doesn't see herself as pretty. She doesn't have the same history as other girls in town. And as a result, she's drawn to the attention that men can provide. And this is the kind of attention that they can offer her in the back of a pickup or on an Afghan along the river or under the rafters of an abandoned barn. So as Teensy and Luann struggle, the community of Ingleside is also undergoing change. And it becomes impossible to make a living farming. So developers begin buying up acreage, and they erect an amusement park. And that is Glory Days. That's the name of that, that park. So as a result, you've got some townspeople who find enormous wealth. Um, once they once they sell off their land, and then you've got others who are already financially strapped, are struggling even more. Um, so Luann ends up taking up with this guy by the name of Footer, and um, and and he really ushers in dark times. So so this notion of the the title of the book being Glory Days really hints at um, kind of the the complexity. Of, of America right now in the, in the 21st century. Well, Melissa, I know that uh, you grew up in Chicago, and I'd like to return to that in a few minutes, but tell us how you chose Nebraska as the setting for your novel. Well, um, I've lived in the Midwest most of my life, um, and that, that being um, Illinois and Indiana and Ohio, um, and Iowa. 
And so in, in essence, um, you know, I see this as flyover country. And when Nebraska expressed interest in the book, um, they, they did want to know how married I was to the notion of, of, um, of the book's setting being um, in Indiana, which is where I initially had placed it. And, um, and, and so we set it, we just went ahead and, and um, transferred that uh, setting to Nebraska because um, like any other uh, town in the Midwest, it's, it's, um, there are some commonalities between any of these sm- small towns. So it, um, it, it isn't that it had to take place in Nebraska as it did um, just have to simply take place in the Midwest. Well, that's very interesting uh, backstory to um, the setting of the book because when I was reading it, it did feel sort of Southern Gothic-ish, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it you know when you bring up that you had first set the book in Indiana, uh, one of the interesting things about Indiana is that Indiana is the most Southern Midwestern state um, in terms of its history and settlement patterns, etc. That's where most uh, people in Indiana came from. So it does have that feel. Yeah, it, it does. And yet I like this idea that it's not, um, I mean, it doesn't, <laughs> although in the, the, the book jacket, it mentions um, Ingleside, Nebraska, um, there's nowhere else in in the book in the manuscript that that mentions the state of Nebraska. So it really is um, it really isn't a vital detail so much as it is a place that's undergoing um, a significant amount of change and um, and and these characters that in many ways are broken and yet trying to um, you know trying to um, find um, find their basic human needs. I'd like to ask about uh, the top blurb on the book, which comes from Bonnie Jo Campbell, who I think is best known for her rural noir and Midwestern noir uh, novels and stories. And I think those are mostly set in Michigan if, or maybe I'm just thinking of that because she lives in Michigan, but can you tell us about your connections to Bonnie Jo Campbell and whether she is an inspiration for this book? Oh, she's absolutely an inspiration um, for this book. I was fortunate to meet Bonnie Jo Campbell uh, while studying uh, toward my MFA at Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio. Um, Bonnie was a visiting uh, professor for a year. And, you know, if, if you know Bonnie you've been moved by her, not just on a personal level, but also by her work. I mean, um, I think her books, her stories and their connection to place, um, has, has really fueled my work and given me something to, um, to kind of, to, um, I guess work toward also. Um, I love the way that, the characters in um, in her work um, oftentimes um, find themselves just find themselves inextricably linked to the places where they're from, um, and I really admire her both as um, as 
as a as a person and as a writer. Your character Teensy has a very interesting name, the farmer out in Nebraska. How did you choose that name? You know, um, <laughs> the creative process process is pretty is pretty fascinating, and um, the book did take about five years to write. So I'm I'm um, I'm backpedaling here on my memory, but I can I can tell you that a lot of my ideas. Um, come from really um, misconstrued moments and misunderstandings. I'm I'm pretty vigilant about keeping track of any ideas that come to me, um, whether it be a memory from my own childhood or a story that somebody else shares with me, or if I'm simply driving and I misread something, if I'm listening to the radio and I mishear something. Um, I just try and keep track of anything that um, that kind of draws my attention. And I try not to think about it too much, and I jot it down. Um, that's kind of a long-winded way of saying I can't tell you uh, specifically where that name Teensy came from. But I can tell you that Teensy's daughter um, was the first chapter that I wrote um, in the book. And it came out of a time when I basically wasn't writing at all. Um, so there might be something to that that name. Um, you know, it kind of there's it's kind of a tickle on your mouth even to say it, Teensy. Um, and uh, as a writer, I'm always looking for different tricks and different ways that I can have even more fun when I sit down to work. And um, even having a character's a character whose name is appealing to me um, and that I have to kind of puzzle through can um, can be enough to get me to sit down. Let's talk uh, a little bit about you, Melissa. I know you grew up in the southern Chicago suburb of Lansing. Uh, tell us what that was like and if if that experience caused you to become a writer or inspired some of your later work. I have really fond memories of, of growing up in Lansing. Um, it's, it's a town that has, um, it, it probably looks pretty different now than it did in the, in the seventies and eighties when, when I was growing up. But, um, you know, it was, a, a you know, we, we lived on a, on a small street. Uh, we had a brick bungalow and, um, maples were in, in front of our house. And as kids we played with our neighbors and rode bikes everywhere and in the summer belonged to a, a swim team and um and yet it was a community that was very um very blue collar um most of my neighbors uh parents worked um worked at the local grocery store or worked construction um maybe as a secretary at the high school or people were were um we're very diligent about their work. Everybody in my neighborhood woke up early, woke up well before the sun did. And, um, and on the weekend they were out cutting their lawns and taking care of their homes. And there's a, there's a true work ethic there. Um, both my parents were, um, were, were parents, uh, let's see, were children of parents who had survived the depression so they really, um, they really 
advocated um, school, and they wanted to make sure that um, that we, uh, my brother and sister, that we were um, going to be able to take care of ourselves, that we were going to be able to have jobs that would um, put food on the table. And so even though, um, even though I showed some um, interest in writing very early on as, as, a, as a first grader even, um, that really wasn't a pursuit that was encouraged. Um, my parents were more interested in making sure that, um, that I put my attention toward more factual things like, the, like math and science. And I um, attended schools that ad, ad advanced those kinds of um, studies as well. So as much as I wanted to write, um, I didn't necessarily feel like it was anything that I could do. And even, um, even when I went away to college at the University of Iowa and was working toward my bachelor's, my dad, um, you know, very seriously took me aside and said, you know, you really need to get a teaching degree. You can't just study English. So, um, so that's, that's what I did. I, I, um, I earned my bachelor's in English education and my first job was teaching, um, high school English in Streeter, Illinois, which is a town in central Illinois, a town that's definitely, um, I don't know what things are like now in Streeter, but in the, um, mid to late nineties when I was there, um, it was a town that was very economically depressed. A lot of the families of the students that I had were, were really struggling, um, with, with a lot of, um, not, not just financially, but, but emotional issues. And, um, and I was, I was doing my best to introduce these students to, books that I loved and yet they had so many, um, so many greater issues going on. I think, I think as a teacher, uh, I, I am not alone or was alone rather, um, in encountering those, those kinds of, of complications. Um, and around that same time, my grandmother became ill and ended up passing away and we had been very close. Um, and there was something, you know, that, about both having a job that was challenging and maybe I didn't, um, I didn't love or it didn't quite fulfill me in the way I'd hoped. And then also losing my grandmother, I just started to think, um, a lot more about what it is that I wanted out of life. Um, and I think at that, at that stage, you know, in my early twenties, I was finally away from my family. Um, and I was able to think more clearly about, uh, my life as being my own entity versus something that um, my parents were in control of. So I decided that year, um, while I was still teaching, that I would just I'd try and write. I, it was something I had always wanted to do. I just I, I didn't know anybody um, that that was a writer. I didn't know if it was something that I could um, that I could even try, but. Um, I told myself to, to give it a little time and, um, and I took that, that summer. So summer after my first uh, year teaching, I took a class, uh, fiction writing class at the university of Illinois, Chicago. And, um, and I continued to, um, meet with two other women I met in that class, 
um, for three years, we met on a monthly basis. We would share our work with one another and um, and provide feedback and encouragement. And, um, and that was the support that I really needed to start thinking that maybe I could do this writing thing. Um, and uh, it was around the same time as I continued to teach that I investigated the, the, um, the idea of pursuing an MFA in creative writing. And um, so about three years since, uh, three years after the start of my first writing class, um, I began my MFA in fiction writing at Bowling Green State University. I wanted to return just for a second to Lansing. Um, of course, Lansing, Illinois, uh, where you grew up is very near the Indiana border and close to Gary, Indiana. Um, did the steel mill culture of Gary, Indiana have any influence or carry over into the Lansing area? Well, we, uh, I was born in Hammond, Indiana. So you're so close to the, to the border there. Uh, we would spend a, a fair bit of time at the beach and you could see, um, the steel mill and you could see, um, you know, the smokestacks, but I don't know that, um, that, uh, I, I can't really speak to how that influenced, um, my time in Lansing. You mentioned also, Melissa, the influence and the importance of your grandmother to you. And, uh, as we've discussed, uh, earlier, you come from an Italian Sicilian family. Is that influence your writing, that sort of, uh, uh, familial background that you have? I think so. Um, Certainly, um, certainly now, um, my family is, is very excited about the work that I'm doing. Um, and I think they've finally accepted the fact that it's fiction that I'm writing. I'm not, um, I'm not taking anything from, um, anyone in our family and, um, or anyone that, that we would be, uh, affiliated with. Um, but they are very proud of the work that I do. We are talking today with Melissa Fratterigo. She has a new novel out from the University of Nebraska Press about a small town in Nebraska. The novel is entitled Glory Days. Melissa has a busy week of speaking engagements coming up, uh, so you can find her in the middle of October 2017 at the Iowa City Book Festival at the Heartland Fall Forum, which is a book festival in central Illinois. And also on October 17th, she'll be doing a reading in Lincoln, Nebraska at Francie and Fitch's bookstore. Um, So, Melissa, let's get back to um, one of these events, uh, the Iowa City Book Festival, which is coming up in several days. Uh, One of the panels that you're going to be on uh, involves the theme of recovery. Can you tell us how the theme of recovery figures in your new novel and also your previous novel entitled The Longest Pregnancy? Sure. Um, the, the panel that I'm going to be on is this, this idea of writing as recovery. Some, um, some people believe that um, it isn't fair to say that writing could be used as therapy, that it might help an author uh, work through an issue that's on his or her mind. 
Um, and you know, there's, there's kind of an argument, I guess, there, um, others believe the, the complete opposite that, that writing can and should be used to reflect on experiences, um, and, um, emotional concerns that an, that an author is having. So, um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about my own take, which is that, that writing can be used. Um, as a means to help an author come to terms with issues that are maybe greater than um, greater than than he or she realizes, um, the book Glory Days um, actually came out of a time in my own life that was that was very dark. Um, somebody very dear to me was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, as somebody who has always written and, and has used writing as a way to understand herself and understand her place in the world. I was suddenly unable to write. Uh, I wasn't sleeping much and I certainly wasn't eating. Um, and one thing I was able to do though, and maybe this kind of harkens back to those, those roots in Lansing, Illinois, is I was able to wake up very early before the rest of my family. And I started reading poetry and there was something about the images and, um, the conciseness of a poem that really spoke to me at that time. And, um, I wasn't able to write prose. I wasn't even able to read a novel, but I was able to, um, access some of those feelings, uh, and take comfort in, in poems. Um, and even though I wasn't writing, um, actively that, um, I, I was still setting aside time for reflection in my life. And one of the things that I would do is I would visit my um, local library on a weekly basis. And, and one day um, there was a, uh, a parking attendant who would let me into the library's parking lot. And one day um, I, I realized I hadn't seen him for a couple days and there he was. And I said, um, you know, I mentioned I hadn't, hadn't seen him for a while. And he said, well, you know, I've been south. I was, I was burying my mother and I was burying my sister. And, um, again, going back to these notebooks that I keep where I keep track of, of my ideas, um, something about the way he spoke, the look on his face, um, it just kind of haunted me. And I jotted a couple, uh, a couple words and that, that turned into, um, it turned into these lines. Gardner hears dogs scrambling up the trees after a squirrel or a neighbor's cat, he tells himself, eager to be calmed. It's not teensy, he thinks. The same thing he's been telling himself for months. Teensy doesn't want anything to do with him, isn't the sort who craves revenge. So that was, um, that actually, those are the first couple lines I had written in, um, you know, probably almost a year, because as I mentioned, I wasn't, um, I wasn't actively writing. And that became um, the chapter Teensy's Daughter. That was the first um, first chapter that, that basically started the entire book project. Um, and suddenly I had these characters. I had um, Gardner, I had Teensy, and then a couple more paragraphs down, you're introduced to Luann, uh, a much younger woman. And, and I had to kind of figure out what these three characters had um, to do with one another. There was already this, this backstory between Teensy and Gardner and this, this disdain for one another. And I didn't know why Luann, um, Teensy's daughter, was with 
gardener. So I had kind of had to, I had to kind of work backwards. Um, and that became a puzzle for me to figure out, to try and determine not only, um, the situation that put these characters, um, together, but also what their history was, what this, this backstory was. Um, and that, that, that puzzle, that, um, that kind of jigsaw that I had to, um, work through became so fascinating to me that, um, the, the, I, I just, I couldn't stop working on it. And it was very different from, um, previous books that I had worked on the longest pregnancy, which was my first book was published, um, in 2006. And that's a collection of short stories. So that would allow me to work on, um, work on a story and put it away and, and, then work on another story with a whole different set of characters and conflict and, and, and so on and so forth. But glory days is actually, um, it's what's called a novel in story. So each one of the chapters is a standalone story. Um, but when it's read in the same, um, order in which I've placed the book, it has the same feel of a novel and, um, and, and, I really fell in love with this form um, because it kind of mimicked what I was discovering from poetry at that time, which is um, there's a there's a fair bit of space um, literally about around a poem. There's a fair bit of white space. And in a novel and stories, you have that same amount of space that the connection between chapters, between stories, um, in, in my book in glory days, it's connected both by the town of Ingleside and also by the same set of characters. We've got, um, four characters who repeat throughout the book. We've got Teensy, his daughter, Luann, um, Gardner, and then this guy, um, this guy by the name of Footer. And then there's one more character who's um, magical in nature, and her name is Fredonia the Great. So um, I really love the way that this form, a novel and stories, invites a reader to kind of fill in the gaps. Um, Glory Days spans about 20 years. And so you've got um, one chapter where, where Luann is um, the, the, the opening the opening chapter ghosts she's um she's about eight years old and then um the next chapter she's maybe 10 and then that third chapter bait she's a teenager so there's these there are these gaps and as the reader you have the opportunity to kind of fill them in with your own um your own predisposition your own thoughts about these characters and these situations Melissa, uh, along with your other uh, many accomplishments, you are now the director of the Lafayette Writers Studio in Lafayette, Indiana. Can you tell us how that came into being and and what your role is with this uh, group? I've done a fair bit of teaching um, throughout my life. I've taught, um, obviously, at Bowling Green State, but also at Southern Utah University, uh, Penn State University, and then I also did uh, most recently a short stint at Purdue University, and I, I, I really love I love teaching. Um, and I found though that as my life circumstances changed, I was looking for a way to um, kind of cultivate um, 
the study of creative writing outside of, of higher education. Um, and once we moved to Lafayette, Indiana, um, one thing I noticed is there weren't a lot of opportunities for um, those in the community to really interact and network with um, some of the faculty at Purdue. They have a phenomenal creative writing program. Um, and you can audit a class, but for the most part, their classes are really geared toward students in, um, in, in their creative writing program. So I really, I really personally believe that, um, that, that everybody um, is in a better place when they have some kind of a creative project, um, when, when they have moments to reflect and, um, you know, we're, we're more disconnected than ever. And yet writing can bring us together both, um, as, as a community and also as an individual. So I wanted to create a space where writers could really hone their work, um, a place where I could share what I knew about creative writing and, um, offer them some support. The same thing that those, um, colleagues of mine had offered with my very first creative writing class um, at the University of Illinois Chicago and even my colleagues um, when I was working toward my MFA at Bowling Green State. Um, so I wanted to offer that support and yet also challenge writers. So right now I offer a variety of classes um, and they vary in, in both length and in um, and in kind of expectations. Um, some of the classes are simply a one, a one night, um, intensive class, um, that might focus on a particular issue about writing. For instance, um, in August, I taught a three hour class called, um, writing your book from start to finish and everything in, in between. And so that class, we spend half the class talking about, um, the creative process and, 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 what it is that you need to know about yourself in order to really embark on a successful um, creative project. And then the second half of the, of the class, I shared everything that I know about how to really uh, frame a book process, or I'm sorry, a, a book project, and, um, and then kind of uh, marry that with what you know about yourself and, um, and, and how to discipline yourself and uh, be successful at a creative project. And then I also teach um, longer uh, classes, some that last in, late, in, in up to eight weeks. Um, and in those classes, that's something I'm doing now. It's a, uh, a writing workshop. Students, um, we spend eight weeks looking at one particular issue of the craft of writing each week. So, for instance, point of view or um, tense or image. Um, and we, uh, I, we take into account what we learn and we apply that toward um, a book that um, is by an author that I've, um, I've touched base with prior to our class, someone who has agreed to have a special Skype conversation with our class about the book process. And then we also workshop each other's work. So in the course of a, of a two-hour class, we are talking about an issue of craft. We're applying it toward um, a book that we are all reading in, um, in concert. And then we are also workshopping um, 
the original pieces by those in our workshop. So we're currently reading Alpine Apprentice by Sarah Gorham. It's a memoir, and she's going to Skype with us um, about that book and her work as the editor-in-chief of Sarah Bandy Press um, in two weeks. Wonderful. You are very, very busy, Melissa, and I know that you will be speaking at several events in coming weeks in Illinois and Iowa and Nebraska, uh, speaking about your new novel set in Nebraska. And I would say that uh, few people have as strong of uh, Midwestern bona fides as Melissa, (laughs) having lived in Lansing, Illinois and Iowa City and Streeter, uh, Illinois and Bowling Green, Ohio and Indiana and writing about Nebraska. So, so you, uh, you know, the region well, um, we have been talking, uh, with Melissa Fraterigo about her new book, Glory Days, which was just published by University of Nebraska Press. Uh, we thank her for joining us today. I'm your host, John Lauk. Our show today is produced by Aaron Babcock. Thank you again, Melissa. Thanks so much for having me on, John. Thank you again for tuning in to Heartland History. If you would like more information about the Midwest History Association, visit us at midwesternhistory.com. You'll have access to information about memberships, news about upcoming conferences, calls for papers, and panel proposals related to Midwestern history. You might also be interested in subscribing to the print journal, Middle West Review, or reading our online journal, Studies in Midwestern History. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook. Until next time.